0: This is Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona. And today I am excited to host another Zimbabwean uh, and someone who is also, I will call it epi-nerd, <laughs> just like me. A little bit of background. I think today's guest is also another Twitter connection. Uh, if I remember well, you know, I think I reached out to you. Whoosh, when was that? It's been a while. <laughs> I think it was 2018, maybe, 2017, 2018. We connected on Twitter, and because you had a lot of public health buzzwords on your profile, and that's how we connected. So yeah, I go around on Zoom Twitter looking for public health people, clearly, but that's how I know today's guest, uh, and I'm excited to have everybody else get to know them and the work that they do. So without further ado,
1: should um, i let you introduce yourself to everyone. Hi Chido, um, Wow, well, I think we are a Twitter connection uh, but I can't remember when exactly it was, it feels like a really long time ago, yeah. uh, 2018 quite recent but yeah Twitter is a fun space and a good place to connect. So you've asked me to introduce myself. I'm not sure where to begin. I am an epidemiologist. I work in Zimbabwe. I work for an organization called the Health Research Unit Zimbabwe, which is also a part of the Biomedical Research and Training Institute. And I also work for the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine as an assistant professor. Don't ask me how I do both. Uh, it's <laughs> it's an interesting mishmash of things in one person. Uh, but in addition to my work, I like you said, I'm a public health nerd. Mm-hmm. I am someone who loves to write. So I have a blog, someone who loves to read. So I read a lot. I have a seven-year-old son and he uh, takes up a lot of my time and is very entertaining. So I talk about him a lot. I run and I yeah that's me outside of my work which I think is also really important when you talk about yourself
0: absolutely. <laughs> thank you for that intro uh that's absolutely right that you know we're more than just our work uh, working on that <laughs> but yeah no thank you so much for taking the time to come and be a guest on my podcast I feel like I was thinking about this as I was mentally preparing for this episode I was like this is just a recording of some of the conversations we've had <laughs> Offline is the sense I get because we've definitely touched on some of these things. Uh, But yeah, thank you. Thank you for introducing yourself. Um, Just to get a little bit more into the weeds, so you would describe yourself as an epidemiologist and you said you work in Zimbabwe. Uh, It sounds like you have multiple hats and roles. And then um, how long have you been doing the kind of work that you're doing
1: now? Uh, Wow. So I started working. On research projects nine years ago. And I've still continued to work on research projects. But more recently, I've taken on more academic roles. And so I would say I've been working in like an academic capacity for the last year. Mm -hmm. And also within the research roles that I've done, they've shape shifted quite a lot over the years. So what I started off doing in 2013 is similar, but also very different to what I do now in the sense that there's been like a lot of career progression and and growth which even like the same kind of work you take on different roles within that work so nine years but the last year has just been very different (laughs) to all the previous eight in the sense that it's more of academia um, which is a whole new beast on its own
0: yeah wow i feel like we will need a separate i've I've been thinking like in future seasons of the podcast we'll do like theme focused episodes and do maybe mini panels so Mm -hmm. we'll definitely do one on academia (laughs) or at least academics in public health but um yeah so nine years nine years roughly since you entered this you know this world of like research in public health or public health work in general
1: yeah
0: okay wow that's amazing Nine years. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. It's even before Malachi was born. That's something I'm like, nine years. That's great. So you have a wealth of knowledge. And in those nine years, have you primarily been focused on work in
1: Zimbabwe only, or have you also touched in other countries? So most of the work that I've Dan has been in Zimbabwe but in the last few years I've also started doing a lot of work mostly um, consultancy work in other countries within sub-Saharan Africa mm-hmm. um, and then in addition we also are part of research projects projects that are multi-country and so it means that while you are the site lead or the PI for Zimbabwe Or working in Zimbabwe you're also doing kind of the same work across multiple different countries and then in the end we bring together the data and um, the analysis I think one of the things that I love about my work which I think we'll get to this is that there's a lot of collaboration so even though you know the work is in Zimbabwe for example you might well, you definitely come across other researchers doing the exact same thing in Malawi or Kenya. And then in the end, you end up combining your data and doing joint publications. And I think part of that is also understanding their landscape and your landscape and how those like two different things speak together. So I would say a lot of work in Zimbabwe, but also a lot of work across multiple countries and trying to see the overlap between that and like the specific subject area.
0: Okay. that's pretty cool and you're right that yeah okay so you kind of like started in one context and then it's applicable in others and that's how you and it sounds like for the work you've been doing it becomes multi-country and then that's where you get to interact with different teams different countries and different contexts absolutely yeah which is pretty cool and exciting um yeah so maybe let's start with okay so now we know where you're from now we know where you're based and the kind of work that you do and the roles and you've been doing it for um close to a decade now. Uh, let's talk about let's go back to the beginning like how you say it's 2013 why did you choose this career path or how did you happen did you happen upon it has this something is working in public health doing research and now academia has this been something that you've always wanted to do
1: or like how did you end up here yeah Uh, that's a funny story I (laughs) oh wow where do I begin so 2013 so I started 2013 version of Cheeto beginning of 20 well 2012 2013 my first degree is in biomedical science with business and okay I'm really sorry I'm going to take this a step back so that it makes sense right when when I was in high school I was really good at sciences uh, but I also really liked history and I, I remember like picking A-level subjects and saying, I want to do history, biology, maths. History, bio, and maths is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, the deputy headmistress at the time said, that's really wild. We can't make it work on the timetable. You should do maths, bio, chem, and physics. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I ended up doing maths, bio, chem, and physics. And then um, I got to like finishing A-level and like you you have enough points to do medicine or whatever. But I knew I didn't want to do medicine. And my parents kind of said, you should do medicine. And everyone was like, go and be a doctor, do medicine. And I thought, uh, I really don't want to do medicine. And the compromise was biomedical science with business. So I thought, okay, it's the bio. Uh, And it's also got a business angle. And I think the business angle was like an influence from my parents who are in business. Mm -hmm. And then I Mm -hmm. went to university and started this degree. And I think in the first year, I was just like, okay, I really do not want to be in a laboratory. I love people. Um, I want to interact with people. I can't um, do this. But me being African, (laughs) it's, it was really like, okay, you can't change your degree. You're here, do it (laughs) and finish it. And then you'll make a plan when you're done, which maybe in retrospect might not have been the best thing to do, but it worked out in the end. So I finished my degree and I um, knew I did not want to be in the laboratory. So I came back to Zimbabwe and met my current boss. And I told her my story. I said, you know what? I got this degree, but I really want to interact with people. Um, I'm thinking of doing uh, a master's in public health uh, to get myself out of like this laboratory based degree. And um, uh, that's how I started working in research. So she had a project and that project was actually in Udidiro, which was really exciting for me, like doing HIV with young people. And I actually didn't do a masters in public health I ended up doing a masters in epidemiology because I uh didn't I wasn't going to use my skill set from from undergrad and I needed to develop a skill set um and epi was going to allow me to develop a skill set that I could then use over time so did I end up where I was by accident or intentionally I think it was a series of events that mm-hmm. ended that got me in the right place eventually. Mm-hmm. So when I look back, I think everything that I've done has played a role in getting me where I need to be. And it's it then was like, oh, why am I doing this? Or it was very subtle, but it's all come together into this picture that makes sense and I'm kind of like, oh, it's not by accident. Um although and you know, at some point it felt like I'm lost. <laughs> what am I <we> going
0: to do? <laughs> yeah, no. Absolutely. I feel like that's definitely, now I think I'm on my, this is like our 10th recording, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's definitely a theme that's been coming up Of like, I mean, there's definitely been, you know, with career journeys in general, not just in public health, right? That, you know, you either go in straight and it's like one plus one is equal to two and you do that. But for more people, it sounds like is that, like you're saying, it's a series of events, decision points, things that come up. And like, it sounds like in your story as well you knew what you wanted or you knew the things that you were drawn to you like for example that key piece of yours of like i like working with people or even when you were in high school and knowing i like history or when you then said, i don't want to do medicine right so those are key knowns for you that it helped inform your career choices moving forward at every point
1: i think i definitely knew but i think it was kind of maybe getting the right guidance Uh or naming it Actually, it's trying to name what you want in a Mm -hmm. space that like, maybe didn't have a name for it or in a somewhat rigid system. Mm -hmm. So you kind of know, I want this, I want, like, I don't want this, I want that. But you don't have a name for the thing that you end up with. Uh, But like now it kind of has a name, which is interesting. In terms of the academia side, that was purely an accident. (laughs) I will state. I will state out loud in public. That was not my
0: intention. <laughs> we need to unpack that part. But yeah, no, I'm definitely going back to like your piece, the way you just said about like having a name for it. I think that's definitely part of why I started this podcast, to be honest, because. I definitely looked back in my career and like the choices and places where, like you said, you also mentioned another keyword that I've definitely been thinking about with this podcast is guidance. And like you said, also growing up in Zimbabwe, and I know this is true of many other African countries and frankly, a lot of education systems throughout the world right that there tends to be like you say this rigidness or this structure and you kind of have if you don't like a then you like b or maybe c Mm -hmm. there are different pathways and you just have to pick one and sometimes it's hard to even when you know that like for example if it's like i don't want to do medicine or like yeah when you know this is not what i want to do but you don't have an alternative or you don't even have the adequate exposure well, understanding that there could be something else for somebody who likes bio and likes history and likes to work with people, right? Uh, and I think that was definitely, those were definitely key influences in my career path as well of like trying, I remember trying to describe what is public health now, but like, you know, <laughs> back in like 2008, trying to say, but I like this and I like that. And then people are like, yeah, go be a doctor. I'm like, no. It's <laughs> not just <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not the reason, but like there wasn't any vocabulary for it. You're right that naming is a key piece to say, okay, public health or epidemiology or research, right? Like research was not a thing I was familiar with until I was doing my undergraduate. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, right, re- giving, I think for me, that's part of the goal of the podcast is to let people realize there's so many career paths and so many ways you could end up doing things that you love or are passionate about. Either in the field of public health or outside by just exploring. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Okay, so now we've gone through high school Chido, <laughs> we've done undergrad Chido, you know, and now you do, you said you end up doing an MSc in epidemiology. And I guess maybe let's talk about, you said, you said there's a specific skill set. That's how you fold it, right? You said you wanted to acquire a new skill set so maybe can you talk about what that looks like or what that means for you when you say you studied like epidemiology and you also describe yourself right you're an epidemiologist why? What, what is that
1: <laughs> i i remember googling this question <laughs> when <laughs> um someone first mentioned it to me like oh why don't you do epidemiology and i was like okay that sounds like skin stuff maybe um and it's it's actually not the easiest thing to explain but essentially epidemiology is the study of diseases in populations and um, thanks to COVID a lot of people now know what epidemiology is but we essentially kind of figure out like what is going on in terms of diseases, um, how to solve problems related to health. So for example, we um, know that there is an outbreak of cholera. This is the classic one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, we don't know what the cause is. And so we, we're kind of like health detectives. We go and like try and find out what caused the disease. Um, and then maybe if we know what caused the disease, we try and find out which people are more likely to get the disease. Or we try and find out like which medicine works best to cure this disease. And uh, yeah, like how to improve health at a population level. So Mm -hmm. a doctor would look at a sick person presented in front of them and an epidemiology would look at, okay, we're getting 600 people coming to this hospital every day because they have broken legs. Um, Let's try and figure out what is causing these people to have broken legs and, and fix that. Whereas the doctor would like fix the broken leg and send you home, which is not a downplay on doctors, but it's it's like just how different the work is and how it all links to health.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like a framing. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I I like that definition. I like the example of the broken legs. Yeah. Of showing that. I like that. Also, like the health (laughs) detectives. But yes, it is about like at a at a population level more than whereas I think healthcare workers at an indi- like clinical doctors right they look at it at an individual they're treating patients as they come whereas epidemiology is more about addressing as a population or as a subpopulation um particular or figuring out disease issues uh which yeah. is cool and i want to ask now i'm thinking well maybe should i ask this later but like so do you think for you, you picked the master's in epidemiology because you specifically wanted that skill set or that you liked, like what
1: about it drew you to say, okay, this is the program that I want to do? So at the time, it, it really was about what, what, how can I place myself strategically for the future? Mm-hmm. Um, and and if it was going to allow me to strategically place myself for the future, but I think Now with learning more about what it is and like what I do, I love so many things about EPI. One of them being that I think I have an inquisitive mind Mm -hmm. and my job is literally trying to answer questions. That is what I do all the time. And then the other thing is that it doesn't restrict you to one thing. So... Another thing that I discovered about myself over time is that I do actually get bored quite easily. And um, with epi, you can decide to focus on one disease Uh or you can um, pivot over time. So when I started doing research, I worked primarily in HIV research with children and adolescents. And that's what I did. And and over time, I've managed to transition from simply or only HIV To sexual and reproductive health. And then even within sexual reproductive health, I've managed to slightly pivot to focus on sexually transmitted infections. And even within HIV, sexual reproductive health and STIs, I've also managed to focus more on diagnostics, which is, you know, different from general like service delivery or like testing, but like really trying to figure out to validate new diagnostics. Um, and then within that, I've also worked on mHealth, health which is mobile health. So using technology to improve health. And that's also quite different. And there's, there's people who focus on all these different things, but I've also over time managed to work on all these different bits and pieces. And I think that that's, one of the most appealing things to me um and it's the critical thinking all the time like there's just no this is what it is like the job is literally like how do we make things better or what is the problem that needs to be solved and I think that's just really amazing
0: yes 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 wait I'm so excited you said diagnostics I'm so excited we need to <laughs> I'm in, I'm in diagnostics now so I'm like wait I thought we're still on SIH but this is all fun. <laughs> this is great. And then you mentioned like, right, being being able to answer questions for a living almost right and be inquisitive and try to solve problems. All key things that make you know, a public health person and epidemiologist specifically. So this question might be a little bit redundant in follow up to this, but maybe can you tell us okay, before we go to your favorite thing, can you tell us give us maybe I'll give you two options. Either tell us a day in a life or a week in a life of you and your many hats. Or can you talk about one or two projects that you've worked on that, you know, can you just give us like a sample of like the kind of questions you're looking to answer or that you that you've answered or look to answer? And maybe in explaining those projects you could tell us like what like what was the project who are you what was the population what were the outcomes and like key lessons or yeah just so that we could get a sense or
1: feel of what it's like to do the work that you do okay um a day in the life is (laughs) not gonna happen um I, I (laughs) (laughs) i won't pick that one um so i'll talk about a project that i worked on that i really enjoyed And um, this project, it was part of my PhD and it's also published. So if anybody has interest in reading actual publications, you can read about this. And why I liked it, I liked it because it showed how much my work can actually have an impact on people beyond my context. And that research can actually lead to policy and programming changes, which I think is really amazing. Um, But it also, like in itself, was something that I thought was really cool. So um, the actual thing. So as as part of my Ph.D., we were looking at trying to find better ways to identify children living with HIV So there's a lot less children with HIV as compared to adults, but children have really poor outcomes when it comes to HIV. So they don't often have access to HIV testing. Once they're tested, um, they struggle to get on treatment. Once they're on treatment, they struggle to stay on treatment and they have all these psychosocial issues. And so they're more likely to default. And there's a lot of historical context to this and a lot of work that has happened. But my, my PhD was focusing on ways to improve access to uptake and access to testing for children and adolescents. And um, it was in the era where HIV self-testing was becoming like a thing, but people were only doing it for adults. And we thought, OK, how can we you know expand this to children and young people because we know that this is a um a high risk group even for acquiring hiv like um, with adolescents, they're, they're quite high risk as well. And so we came up with an idea to get parents to test their own children for HIV, because we know that children actually don't come to healthcare facilities. And our facilities are also open when children are at school. So what if we give um, parents HIV self-test kits, they take them home, they test their own children for HIV, they come and they tell us their results, or we follow up their results. Uh, so we asked people about this and people thought, okay, that's a great idea. We spoke to, um, the medical research council and they said, yeah, do it. Um, and we also started speaking to WHO and WHO was like, okay, this is great. Um, and we, we, we also started speaking to the, the manufacturer of the test kits and they said they would support us in, in doing this study. So We did this crazy, crazy study. At the time it was crazy, but right now you're like, that really makes sense. But at the time when we got approval from the Medical Research Council of Zimbabwe, people were like, what? (laughs) You got approval to do what? Um, because like we need to remember that HIV is quite scary right and people are like what happens if the child has a positive diagnosis at home like what are the social harms that can happen like will that child actually show up at the facility can parents test their own children like there's this whole thing that like people can't do it right even though we know self-testing works there were questions even from WHO about do you know that a Person can test another person. And we're like, okay, it's not that much different from testing yourself. But we had to provide evidence to show that. So we did this study uh, in Wulawayo and Mangwe. And we offered this kit to parents. In the first half of the study, we showed them how to do it. So then the, the research assistant would show, and and these were people living with HIV, right? Because the child is at risk of, of having HIV infection. So we would show them um, how to do the test and then we would go home and watch them do the test for, the, like, for a sample. And then after some time when we saw that people could do it by themselves, there was a group that we um, just gave the test and they could go home and test their children by themselves. And then WHO came back and said, like in real life settings, there's going, not going to be anybody to show them. Uh, so you just have to give them the test and see if they can do it properly. And that's what we did. We got a sample of um, people living with HIV. We gave them the test and we watched them test their own children. And the results are really amazing. People could do it. And subsequently, uh, the guidelines have shifted to allow with like what they say is there's weak evidence, but it means it's in the guidelines. And when COVID struck, uh, a lot of researchers from all over the world, you know, came asking about our work and said, you know, we want to do the same thing or we're seeing that it's already happening in Uganda Mm. and we're worried, um, how did you do it? Like, can you give us input? So MSF, PEPFAR, CRC, all Mm. these international organizations were really interested in our work um, and PEPFAR actually added it to their guidance um, when COVID struck, which was like the year that I, the year I was still doing my PhD and this was like my PhD work and and it was just like, what, this is relevant. This is important. And it's so crazy because this is still an ongoing
0: conversation, by the way, I feel like definitely, I think they just, I mean, yours wasn't self-testing, right? Because it was a guardian or parent testing a minor. Yeah right? So I think that's probably why there's a lot of like, what? Because <laughs> it's a minor. But I think I can see how, especially with COVID and self-testing, right? I think WHO only just released earlier this year, the guidelines for self-testing, right? Because the key thing with all of these things is like, can individuals do it, right? <laughs> it's a patronizing mm-hmm. health, But I can see how it's like almost kind of like your PhD was, it came out just, you were wrapping it up just at a time where the world needed the answers to those questions or was starting to look at and maybe not specifically for hiv but was very applicable in another infectious disease pandemic so that is that is amazing that should be a movie <laughs> you don't, don't you we'll think make so? a movie. <laughs> it would. Uh, i'm just thinking you know uh pandemic i think there is a movie right called pandemic that came yeah. out before covid and then got popular uh just because before covid so i think we could do one you know that focuses on you <laughs> and your PhD work and um how you know the work was helpful in answering these questions. Um, yeah, and if this I'm happens to get really- different
1: actives though.
0: Yes, but you did, I'm just putting the record here that I would need a kind of idea. <laughs> just say yes, you get the copyrights, please. You, it would be inspired on true story <laughs> <So you're laughs> you with kind of public health chats, <laughs> and then who would restart? You know, but that's pretty. No, it it really is like like you said, I like goes back to the health detective piece that you talked about, right? Of like you get to answer questions for a living, and then those questions. Even, you know, and like, I mean, even if the, they don't provide answers, like the right answer or the right answer that we're looking for, that knowledge that you produce is then transferable and can be used in other settings or in other disease areas. And and that's helpful for future health outcomes, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's it sets the foundation, right? So mm-hmm. it's not, I think this was a very, very unique case where it actually like changed things mm-hmm. or moved things along sometimes sometimes you do experiments that don't work mm-hmm. <laughs> and but those those and I'm calling them experiments because that's like an um a, an easier term but like even then you learn something right so there's a thousand ways you get things wrong a thousand ways now you know a thousand ways not to do it there's a quote mm-hmm. to that effect and it all builds upon and I think it's it's the thrill of that right like trying to investigate trying to find trying out different things like I I'm now working on 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 STIs, and I literally like find myself thinking like, how can we crack this? Like, Mm -hmm. what do we need to do? Where do we need to do it? And, and and I think that's what makes it really exciting for me.
0: Absolutely. So then, would it be redundant, or do we have more things that you like? Because my next question was going to be, what is your favorite thing about working in public health and doing the work that you do?
1: (laughs) Oh. Right, okay leaving. let's make it
0: easier it sounds like it sounds like you have multiple <laughs> so let's do top three like what are your three favorite things about the work that you do in addition to this puzzle you know solving that you just mentioned
1: okay so we've mentioned puzzle solving so I'll drop mm-hmm. that um I I mentioned briefly like the 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 way you can pivot so it's mm-hmm. all sort of like you can move from one thing to the next thing um and you'll be fine I really love the fact that the work that I do actually um, and this is not to trivialize anybody's work but it makes a difference in people's lives so I do implementation research mm-hmm. which means a lot of the time you can actually see the positive effects of the work that you do there and then and I think that's just really amazing and I I love that it's like directly improving the lives of people and the health of people um in Zimbabwe and beyond And the third thing that I love about the work that I do is that I also work with really amazing people. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's, it's that like, I'm I'm, one, I'm in a good group, like, Mm -hmm. you know, where I work in Zimbabwe, where the team is just really phenomenal, but also internationally, like we've collaborated with people over all over the world and they've all just been really nice people. Like I rarely come across someone that I'm just like, oh my God, I can't deal with that person. But it's it's the the community around the work that I do, which has just been really, really amazing. And the the spirit of sharing, the spirit of learning. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that. I really like that about my work.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Can I come and be an understudy? <laughs> you solved me with the last piece. I mean <laughs> All of your pluses were great, but I think the last piece really struck me today in particular because that's definitely, I mean, yeah, you mentioned like your work making impact. I think that's been a common theme across all episodes is that you get to do work and it impacts people's lives. That's been a common theme. Uh, what was, and then, you, so there's a the puzzle solving, work makes impact. What was the other thing you mentioned, sorry, before before the amazing people you work with, oh, I said the puzzle. I said, oh, you said the- it's transferable, it's, in- it's fluid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you can be working in one disease area or one program area, and it's still applicable, and you can change around even within the field. Yeah, that's a really key piece, I think, especially when people do think about careers. I think I felt a lot of pressure as a young person, as a younger person. <laughs> back in the day, because it felt like once you pick a career, you're going to be doing exactly that for the rest of your life. So then that's a lot of pressure, Mm -hmm. right? Especially when you're like 18 or 19 to think, do I really want to be the lab for the rest of my life? That was my experience as well. And, uh, but you're saying, you know, working in public health, working in research and academia, you know, you could be in HIV and then tomorrow in SRH. And then now you're looking specifically at diagnostics. So it can really change and your skills can be transferable to multiple areas, which is cool. But I think what's been particularly different in your response today was this piece around getting to work with the community in the work that we do, right? Getting to work with other teams, collaborating, like you say, with other countries, with other research groups, um, with a common purpose. And I think as I've now worked longer i think when mm-hmm. you're looking at a job first out of undergrad or even you know it's not really you know you graduate you need a go- you need to get a job right <laughs> I'm like is it a job can they hire me can they pay me kind of uh scenario but as you grow and as you you move in roles you have different coworkers different teams different bosses um you start to realize right how important it is to to be in a working environment that you enjoy going to <laughs> yeah and that how that can be impactful in your career and how you move forward as well
1: um so it really that- makes a difference I think one of the things that has been clear for me and my in my career all along is that I don't regret going to work like I don't I don't feel like oh my god I'm going to work um I really don't want to go to work I've always actually enjoyed the work that I do which which I'm really grateful for and I think for a lot of people it's not the case but I really do love the work that I do um which which has got its positives and its negative consequences Mm -hmm. um the negative being like where I started off like at the start to just be like okay you're you're more than your work um (laughs) right (laughs) can I (laughs) do more about myself yeah and I, and I also think like you're saying, a huge part of enjoying what I do is also really working with amazing people that make the work better or easier or more enjoyable. And that's not the case in a lot of places. So it, it really makes the difference in the space that I'm in that I work with people who are really nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, at least there's no yeah. And it's like, yeah, I guess there's no, I I went, there's no marker, there's no biomarker for that, right? You kind of like figure out as you go, but you definitely do realize with experience that it's something that, that matters. So uh, definitely something to consider for people, like if, you know, collaboration, as you mentioned earlier, community. I like that you even use the word community because I wonder, do I think of the word, like... Am I in a research community? (laughs) That's my question. The question I was thinking when you were saying that. But that's definitely something to think about as well, right? In the work that we do. Yeah, cool stuff. We have time for two more questions. So let's Mm -hmm. do, we've done the favorite thing about working in public health. Let's do, let's do another feel good one. Let's do either, I'll give you options because I'm in a good mood today. I'll ask you either, (laughs) what does public health mean to you? Or how would you define, I think it's the same question, but I like to phrase it in different ways. So how would you define public health for yourself or what does public health mean to you? Uh,
1: What does public health mean to me? In the context of everything that has been happening in the world, and, and when I say everything that has been happening in the world, I mean the inequalities around Uh, Mm COVID-19, I mean, everything that we're talking about at the moment about decolonizing global health uh, and all the things we are, and I'll put in quotes, fighting for in terms of that. I think Mm -hmm. public health, to me, means for the good of everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's a, and again, I'll use this word, it's a community approach and there's nothing individualistic about public health. I think public health is really for the good, Of everybody Mm -hmm. and and what that means is with one weak link we're all you know falling apart and it means being intentional to deal with inequalities being intentional to address access issues being intentional about universal health coverage all of those things that don't leave anybody behind
0: wow that is amazing that's a very different answer from what i've gotten before which i love And also brought up a very, yeah, the most succinct way I've heard so far, I think, for the good of everybody. It's for the good of everybody. And I think that can be unpacked in like three episodes. (laughs) Uh, You definitely mentioned decolonizing global health. You mentioned COVID-19 and like access, access to treatment, access to vaccines, access to care. Mm -hmm. Um, You're right. I think that COVID-19 in the past three years has you know, two and a half at this point, I think, has brought public health on the center stage in a way that I think probably at a global scale, people hadn't really, I think with AIDS, with HIV AIDS, it was at a public, like at a global level, but I don't think there was as much, how can I put it? For for many reasons, right? HIV and COVID-19 are different. So I do, I, I think COVID-19 was particularly different because it was airborne, right? Uh, so everybody was kind of like in the conversation. And I like that, yeah, that's the takeaway, like, your health is tied to my health, and we need to work. Yeah, where we might live
1: have access, ex- or ex- don't. Yeah, it's at a it's at an international level, like global level, but at a national level, at a community level, we're not conscious of the people. We're often not conscious of the people that we leave behind. So, uh, I'll give examples of people living with disabilities. For example, we are horrible when. A, comes to that and access to health and, and services when we look at minority population groups so like the lgbtqi plus communities we we not good when it comes to that as well yeah so the it's it's at every level that for the good of everybody matters um even like in in zimbabwe i think something that people have been talking about recently is just the cost of healthcare and how poor our healthcare system is and how the impact of that is also felt in neighboring countries so yeah it's it's a lot that i think we can't go over in one <laughs> in one, episode. In one um, <laughs> episode but i think that is what public health is to me is really about communities at all the different levels uh the one thing i wanted to touch on in my list of things was like mental health for example we mm. we're good at fixing bones and things mm. you can see but we're not good at like the inner being and the mental being which is mm. really really important because that also affects the physical being so yeah it's a lot it's
0: a lot but th- that 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 is public health and I think I've fluctuated in all my last episodes. I think the are definitely episodes, depending, on I guess, on the work that I'm doing and what's happening that week or month, I've definitely been like, it's a lot. Yay, that's why I love Public Health. <laughs> and there's been some episodes where I've been like, oh my God, it's a lot. It's like, no, there's so much, um, right? There, there's so much to cover, like you mentioned, from like mental health to, you know, communities that tend to like be forgotten or like unseen or tend to be like in the shadow when you think about access uh different disease areas that just don't make the cut for different reasons and even the the example that you brought up of like access for all or like um health for everyone but like where right I think you know for a lot of times people that's within a geographic right it's, it's access to care for everyone in Rwanda, right? Because I'm in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Then what happens mm-hmm. to people who right? I think a very obvious example like where you bring up like when we had the earthquake in was not an earthquake? It was when the volcano erupted and there was uh earthquake activity. And like within mm-hmm. a matter of a day, those people were refugees, right? So you wake up yeah. today, you're a nation of you're an you're a person of country X, something happens and all of a sudden you have to pick up your life. But you are still seeking treatment right whether it's for hiv for one thing or the other so now you're in another country and you still are a person and you're still deserving of health care right but that would then what does that look like and i think you're right that this has been a conversation at least on Zimbabwe and in south african twitter around like mm-hmm. who gets to get access to care but that that is refugee health is its own subset right under public health and something to yeah.
1: you hard. touched on i know like i i um did a bit of work with Tongogara refugee camp, and it's all of that. I think you it's engaging with also people where they're at because, and when we talk about access, um, I'm going to digress a bit, but mm-hmm. you, you also need to reach people at the level that they're at, right? So, uh, the service might be there, mm-hmm. but the way that it's packaged might not speak to a certain population group, so, um, without you know pointing fingers. For example, mm-hmm. some religious groups in Zimbabwe do not believe in access to contraception. Mm-hmm. But we also know that within those religious groups, some people do access contraception. And how do we make sure the services the service is available for those people who who want um, right. contraception? And when we look at like COVID nineteen, and you're talking about refugees, for example. So when I went to the refugee camp. It was soon after va- the vaccines had been introduced, and people were literally running away when it was vaccination day. You know, wow. and 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 in order to reach those people, even though we have effective public health. Um, interventions in order to reach those people we need to speak to them at the level that they're at and I and and I'll speak about Twitter because that's where we kind of started this conversation as well is that like there was there's been a lot of messaging around force people make it mandatory or you know scare people into doing things or even negative messaging about health interventions it's all intertwined and 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 what I'm saying is access comes in different shapes and forms and we need to even though we might have services or effective interventions we need to package those appropriately to different population groups so that people actually take them up and and it's often these vulnerable groups that then that need it but then don't take it up um even though it's there and I think that's also just another big thing that. And and with things like COVID nineteen or or whatever else, it affects everybody. You you think that oh these are refugees from X Y Z, but one way or the other, they are like consequences for everybody. And so that's that's what makes public health really important because it is it is really about everybody. It
0: goes beyond just the individual. And like no matter how many times like you can wear masks everywhere, but if other people are not yeah. wearing masks you're not fully protected, right? And it, it kind of like, it's similar in other ways, right? And how we access care. So definitely what you said, everyone has to be involved. Yeah, you just like opened a Pandora's box, you know. <laughs> so now I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, let's dig into this. No, we'll do separate episodes. We'll do separate episodes. We'll bring you back. But for the purposes of this episode, I think we've covered so much. Hopefully, other people have been able to see as well from your story the many ways, right? That ways in which you can get into the field and different things that people can work on from like we say the refugee health to the health promotion to the research to the working in the labs to patient care that's all you know under this umbrella of public health so maybe now let's just do to wrap up let's talk about um what is like what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself uh when thinking about which career paths to take
1: yeah okay what advice would I give to a younger Given of- your story and like how you ended up where you are, what would you tell the 18 year old version of you? So the first thing that that came to mind when you said that is follow your bliss. So I'm just going to say that mm-hmm. um, because that's the first thing that came to mind and I'll trust my intuition. So younger me, yeah, fo- follow your bliss. Go, f- go for the things that set your heart on fire. Go for the things you're passionate about sometimes it might not make sense it might not make sense to the people around you but i think it's in those things that you will find yourself and it, and at least like joy or happiness so one of the things that i that i always say is like happiness is the goal like peace and happy love peace happiness like that is the goal and a lot of that comes with just being in the right place uh so follow your bliss follow your bliss yeah
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean it never I, I I'm just thinking. <laughs> I did like it but I'm just thinking when you're younger I remember hearing this when I was like 18, you know? I mean over 20 or 22 and like it just never felt like that was the answer but it's so interesting now looking back i'm like absolutely i sh- i should have just like went with like you said went with my gut went with my intuition this is what i cared about and like follow it or at least follow it at peace i think sometimes at least for me i was following for my bliss but there was just so much hesitation right so much doubt and so much like being unsure and, and cool. not knowing right yeah.
1: yeah now now i'm also i i agree with you it's not easy it's it, and and that's why i think i would Give younger Chido you know, that that voice to say, "Follow your bliss." Um,
0: right. it's important. It's absolutely important.
1: Yeah. yeah. Then, I guess there's practical advice, but i I'll stick with the mushy stuff for today. <laughs>
0: stick with the mushy stuff yeah we we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to I do have a a practical question, but I think we 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 talked about skills before when you talked about like what epidemiology is and the kind of like things that it allows you to do. so I think we've covered that a little bit, so maybe let's just shake things up a little bit before we mm-hmm. wrap it and say, I didn't ask yeah we talked about your favorite thing and let's maybe talk about what do you know now about the field of public health or maybe specifically the field of epidemiology or research that you wish you had known or understood earlier
1: uh yeah that is but controversial what what do i know now
0: (laughs) yes okay
1: yeah so what i it's a lot of work it's it's a lot of Particularly coming to academia, it's Mm -hmm. it's really it takes a lot. It's it's work that is not, and it's a good and a bad thing. But it's work that is not nine to five. It's work that's going to keep you up until two a.m. or wake you up at three a.m. And it's really demanding in that regard. So that's what I I wish I had known then. Mm -hmm. Um, And I suppose the other thing is, if you're gonna want to have a lot of money, it's probably not gonna be it don't and, say and, that and, and,
0: really and that's really it's
1: relative it's relative actually let me say it's relative so okay uh-huh. like, lots of money means different things to different people right mm-hmm. um so my definition of lots of money is like a lot of money so I, <laughs> <laughs> so whoever's listening to this would take it with a pinch of salt but it's not like um
0: it's not a corporate job maybe let's it's not
1: exactly
0: not banking
1: exactly. It's yeah. not banking and finance where you're gonna do this and do that. It's really like, yeah, something else.
0: But you'll be following your bliss, you know, and you'll be doing the things. What did you say? That yeah. you said the fire. fire.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I am. I'm definitely. <laughs> um, but I think the other thing that I've I've learned also is that while money is not the most important thing, money is an important thing. It is. Um, and having it is really nice. So. And 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 not to say that if you follow this path, you know you're going to be poor and broke for the rest of your life. I mean, there's so many ways to make more money and to make a lot of money. There's also consultancy, which which is great. You can also leave and like use the the skills that you have and work in pharma or wherever, right? So it's not restrictive. But I think I think one of the things this is also really important. Going back to younger Chido, um, and even current Chido is. Also just being realistic about money. We shy away from it, right? We skirt mm. about it, da, 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 da. But it's it's understanding money, being able to speak about money, being mm. able to, you know, ask about money, being able to negotiate when it comes to money. Like all yeah. of those things. Exactly. Are important. And we don't learn them in mm. school. I didn't learn them in school. I don't know where other people are, but I didn't learn them in school. But I do think they are important um and younger chido you know, didn't care about money um mm-hmm. i would have wanted her to be equipped about right. that stuff yeah
0: absolutely you're definitely teaching to things. the choir <laughs> <laughs> <doesn't> like <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely that's definitely something to consider and i think you're right that it is in terms of when you think of going back to what i mentioned how we started the podcast in terms of career guidance, I think it's very important as well to be very open with young people, right, as they make these decisions. What that means, but also I like your your caveat of like things change. I have found in the organization that I work, I come across a lot of people who didn't necessarily start out in public health, actually started in the private sector, started in banking and finance or in consulting and have pivoted, right, looking to do jobs that, uh you know, give back or have more impact, like you said, uh, into people's lives on the ground so I think that's another maybe thing to add is that you you're not bound to the decisions you make you're in 18 when you're 20 and you're 25 or 30 to be honest right and you can mm-hmm. always change especially given you know priorities and the things you mentioned like you didn't care about money when you're younger I think a lot of us didn't <laughs> because we didn't quite know or understand the way that the world works but then as your needs and priorities change you might need to pivot in or out of certain fields because of those priorities but yeah you're yeah, absolutely you're absolutely right it's not it's not the field where we we're bowling and swimming in money I'm thinking of that gif <laughs> yeah but it's a field where we do make impact and at least for me that's
1: one of the reasons I love the field of public health I'll I'll just like jump onto the one thing that you said is that while like I'm giving this advice to younger Chido, I think I I'm also mentioned and I think it's important that it also applies to in quotes, older people. I think I'm young, but it it applies at every life stage. Like I work with people or know people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who need some of these tools or want some of these tools or benefit some of these tools or are still learning to navigate their way around these things. And like you said, it might be a career pivot, but I think all of this is still really important at whatever stage you are in, in life. I, I younger Chido would benefit, but like current Chido would also really benefit from, you know, just follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and learn more about money and you know all of these different things. Uh they're important wherever you are.
0: You're right. You're absolutely right. That's definitely one thing I've been benefiting from doing this podcast is like, I just take all these words of wisdom. Yes, they're for younger people, but they've definitely been helping me as well. Mm -hmm. Full disclosure. So yeah, you're right. Follow your bliss is another one I'm adding to the list. But yeah, so for the last thing before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask if there's anything you wanted to plug or share like that you think maybe is a good resource or maybe if you want people to check out the website of the studies that you're doing or the work that you're doing anything you'd like to share if you don't have it now that's okay as well you can just send me the links and i'll put them on the episode notes but yeah if there's any last three messages
1: or shout outs you want to do this is this is your moment (laughs) okay shout outs messages okay i i would like to plug my the group that I work for in Zimbabwe, our group. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're interested in health research, um, you should check out our website, which is ww.throughzim. So thruzim.org. Um, we do a lot of really exciting research and we also update our website with any opportunities. So if you're interested in um PhDs, for example, you, we tend to post them. Um, on our website as well and I think we're amazing <laughs>
0: <laughs> love the confidence and that you are by the way you and the group as well so uh, thank you for that shout out I'll definitely plug it I think basically it's the same this is the same one that Mundi would have shared right but I will put it again on this episode's notes so that people can access it and just learn more about the work that you're doing uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Chido. It's been a pleasure. And as always, and as I had told you before, we're going to have a little bit more fun with this and we could keep going. But I think <laughs> we'll wrap it up here. Um, this has been Utano Public Health Chats with your host, Fiona. And today we were interviewing Dr. Chido Zivachikwari. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for my episode. Oh, my God.